0: Good morning, good to see all of you guys today. We are starting a new series called Dinner with Jesus because if you notice, there's all these significant moments in the Gospels where Jesus is actually sitting down and having a meal with a group of people or they're having a meal with him, whether that be on a hillside, in a home, wherever, a whole hosts of places. And I love that this happens because, and I think you guys know this, when you sit down and you have a meal with somebody, right? You actually share in that experience with somebody, you learn a lot about them. You do. You learn things about a person by sitting down and having a meal that you wouldn't know any other way. And you just get to experience the truth of that. And this is why I'm so thankful we get to do this with all these passages about Jesus in the next couple of weeks. For today though, let me start this way. My, my, my aunt and my uncle live in Colorado. They live in Fort Collins, Colorado. I have cousins that live there too. Um, and I love this place. So I went out to go visit, and I was going to spend a day and a half with my aunt, like two days or so with my aunt one night, and then go hang out with my cousins and different things, and so I go to show up, and I knock on the door, my aunt opens the door, and she says, hey, and she wraps her arms around me, gives me this big hug, and then she scoots out of the way, and I'm like, hey, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me, and then she scoots out of the way, and there is a black woman in full African garb standing behind her waiting to like, meet me as well, and I was just like, Oh, I didn't know anybody else was even going to be here. And she introduces her. So apparently my aunt had been like at the grocery store or someplace. And had met this woman and found out that she, her her son was an international exchange student from Nigeria. He was coming to uh, be an international student at Colorado State University. And so the mom, her, she had flown in with him to like help him land well, like get situated and find classes and do all those different things. And my aunt meets her at a grocery store or wherever it was that she did, finds out that she doesn't have a place to stay and is like, you need to come stay with me. You should just come stay with me and all You should have dinner at my house. You should do this thing. And, and she did. She did. Some of you are looking at your spouse right now like, if you ever, I swear, right? Like that type of moment. But my aunt did this. And so I look and I'm like, well, cool. It's nice to have you. And she goes, yeah. So today there'll be three of us, me, you, and her. We're all going to go to Estes Park, Colorado, and hang out for the day. We'll come home and we'll have dinner together. And I was like, <laughs> Cool all right, well, sweet, the more the merrier, let's do this thing, you know, she knew I was coming, this is what we want to do, let's do it, and we had a great time, I learned about, like, some of her stories and her culture, and just what it was like even flying out here with her son, and trying to get him situated, and, and we talked about what it's like to be a parent, and all these different things, it was really fun, we had a great time, and then we come back, and now it's time to cook dinner, and I go, so what's the plan, you know, what do we need to do here, and my aunt goes, oh, we need to go to the store, I said, okay, so we dropped the Nigerian woman off at the house, and my aunt and I, we go to the store, and we're at the store and she's putting so much food in the basket. It's ridiculous. Where so I was just like, I start making fun of her. I'm like, what are you cooking for an army? This is going to feed like 30 people. And my aunt says, well, that's good. Because there's like 25 other people coming to dinner tonight. And I said, what? What? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, who's coming for dinner? And she said, well, there's a college like, small group at our church. And for whatever reason, they didn't have a place to meet tonight. And so I was just like, my house is fine. Like, Come over and and do this. And my my nephew's going to be there. And and the more the merrier. So like, we'll just cook them dinner. And we'll have dinner with everybody. And then she goes, and then you and I can just go hang out and talk in the other room. It'll be really fun. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you knew I was coming. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, OK. So we cook dinner for like 30 people. We make soup and appetizers and all this stuff and bread and things and hang out and And my aunt's house is not like this massive place. And so there's just chairs and folding tables and things crammed everywhere. And it flows all the way out into the backyard. And I'm sitting there hanging out with these college students who are from everywhere. And this Nigerian woman who's a joy sitting next to me. And it's just this crazy weird moment I didn't think I was gonna be in. And I just looked around and I had this realization where I was like, you know what I learned today? I learned that everyone is welcome at my aunt's house for a meal at any point in time. And you laugh, some of you guys are like, huh, yeah, sorta. No, you're one conversation away right now, you. You are one conversation away from having a dinner at my aunt's house. I promise you, you haven't met her, but all it would take is one conversation and you being like, yeah, and I just need it or I was wondering or whatever. And she's like, you need to come. You're gonna have dinner at my house. We're gonna do this together. She would do this. You're one conversation away. If you're going through a hard time, you're one conversation from sitting down at her table and her being like, let's talk. What's going on in your life? How are you? Eat some food. You're one conversation away if you don't have a place to live from living in the spare room in her basement. I think she's housed like 30 people in the last several years that she just randomly meets places who need things. It's it's a little crazy. Like there's a lot to this, but everyone always has a space at her table. You see, you can learn a lot by just showing up to a meal and sitting down with somebody, some of you guys are gonna do this today, you're gonna to go to lunch after this and you're just gonna stare at each other weirdly. You're like, what can I learn right now? Don't be weird, right? But you can, you know this is true. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is that when you start to look at some of the moments that he's sitting down sharing a meal with people, one of the things that becomes very, very obvious is who has a place at his table. It just stands out more and more and more. And we're going to look at a particular passage today uh, where, where we see this. This is the goal. And you might be sitting here being like, so I came to church today so I can learn who Jesus invites to his dinner table. Yes, you did. And here's why that matters. That matters because as followers of Jesus Christ, if he makes room for somebody at his table, what does that mean for us? You see what I mean? If they've got a space at his table, then I think we need to wrestle with who has a space at our table and what does this look like? And now, and I'm just going to say, because I know some of you all are very literal in here. When I say table, some of you are like, so I'm supposed to invite people over to my house for dinner. I mean, sure, that'd be great. But when I say table, what I'm talking about is actually your life. And I don't mean in its entirety. I just, when you Provide a space at your table. What you're doing is you're opening yourself up in relationship, aren't you? You're, you're allowing somebody into your home, into your moment to see who you are, to see a part of your life. When you open up your table, I'm not just talking about a dinner table or a folding table or whatever you got going on in your house, like whatever the thing is. I'm talking about your life, you, relationship, a table, right? So I want you to hear that. We're gonna mean all of it, right? So yes, a dinner table, but also your life. So we're going to talk through this. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to work our way through this passage, beginning of verse one. It says, one Sabbath, one Sabbath. So if you don't know what a Sabbath is, it's a holy day as part of the Jewish customs and the law. It starts on Friday evening. You have dinner, and then you basically rest from doing work because this was considered to be what God did back in the beginning. And so you do the same thing now too. It's law. It's commanded. So they're on the Sabbath. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, he being Jesus. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, these are the people at the dinner, saying, is it lawful, meaning is it right, meaning is it a sin, to heal on the Sabbath or not? Verse 4, but they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Verse 6 then says, and they could not reply to these things. As in, they said nothing. They stayed silent. So this is our passage. Let's talk about it for a moment. There's three things that if we're going to break this down that we need to know. Three things that are really important to the passage. And the very first one here is where Jesus is. I need you to think about the context that he's in in that particular moment. He's having a meal and he's a guest in someone's home in a culture that highly honors hospitality, right? So he's he's one of many honored guests, but he is a guest in someone's home. Now, whose home is he in? He's in one of the Pharisees' houses. If you don't know who the Pharisees were, they were a group of religious followers, and they followed in a certain way. They were devout. Their whole life was about being devout, and they thought what we needed to do is read and interpret the letter of the the law of God. So the first five books of the Bible and everything commanded in that, in all the Torah, we need to interpret that and understand it so that we can follow it to the T. And then they had lawmakers with them. When we say lawmakers, we're not talking about people who like organize legislation on behalf of Rome. We're talking about people who interpreted the text and said in order to follow God accurately and rightly so that we do not sin, some of these things we're not quite sure what to do. So we're gonna need laws that help us interpret the laws so that we can make sure that we do the right things so that we can be honorable and holy and live lives that are good and righteous to God. Do you see this? And they live this with rigor. Jesus is not just at a Pharisee's house. He's at a leader of the Pharisee's house. So you see, this just keeps climbing, right? And that's who's there. Lawmakers around the table. Religious lawmakers around the table. really Devout religious followers. Re- leaders of devout religious followers. Jesus is also at this table. That's his context. It's really important you see this for two reasons. One, he is having a conversation with religious people. That's his intended audience here, and I want you to know that. Two, He is going to work through some things here that he does because he's at this conversation with these religious, these specific religious people. And so what Jesus is gonna do is he's actually gonna break down some stuff that they would have cared a ton about. He's gonna just wrestle with that for a moment. One, wrestle with the second one. And the reason why is because when he gets to the end of what we're gonna be reading today, he says something so incredibly controversial and disruptive that had he started with that, they wouldn't have had anything to do with it. And so we're going to walk through that same process because it's good for us here today. So I want you to know that. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. In the passage, it says that a man had edema. Oh, I'm sorry. It says that he had dropsy. In our culture, we would call that edema. If you don't know what that is, I just think of it where your body retains fluid to the degree that something swells in a pretty extraordinary way. Right, So there's this abnormal swelling in the body. Some of your translations might read an abnormal swelling of like the abdomen or something. But really all that's there is some part of his body was just, was overly taking on water and that that was a permanent thing. This was just happening to him. And this is how he was living his life. You need to know that rabbinic tradition in that that era would have looked at edema most of the time and said, that's because this person or his parents have done something immoral. So it's not just that he has a medical condition or a health condition or that something's going wrong. It would have been moral as well. They would have believed, and he did something or someone did something that he now deserves this. He's paying the consequence for this, right? This man who has dropsy. And so there's ethics involved, right? There's, there's all kinds of interpretation and stuff that's involved. Here's the last thing that you need to know. This happens on the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath, there's all kinds of rules that are made about how to follow the Sabbath and how to not follow the Sabbath to the degree, and I always highlight this as just a way of you, of us all kind of understanding just how far this goes. Like even to this day in Orthodox churches, you know, an, ortho, an ortho, Orthodox synagogue, I apologize. In an Orthodox synagogue, you need, to build, you need to actually live in that area because you're not allowed to drive a car because if you drive a car, you start an ignition, which starts a fire and starting a fire would have been considered work and you're not allowed to work, so you gotta walk. Do you see the interpretation all the way down of how this works? So there were laws about the Sabbath and how you make sure you do no work and how you rest. And there's all these interpretations and things. This happens on the Sabbath. Those are the three big pieces. So Jesus, he's a guest in the house of a religious leader of leaders. And there are lawmakers and well-to-do religious people. And there's this man who has dropsy, this man with a swelling, this edema around him, right? Right? And Jesus looks at them and he says, he asks this question. And it's a good question when you think of who's in the room. Is it lawful? You got lawmakers, you've got the religious interpreters. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? This is like him saying, So is it a sin? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it wrong? Is it right? Is God okay with this? Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not? This is Jesus posing more than just a hypothetical question. He's not standing there being like, man, this is going to be just really interesting fodder for dinner. He's not. He's got a real live object lesson. Why? Because right behind him is what? A man with edema who is right here at this dinner, Like, because it was common to have an audience in those areas in those days who were able to observe the dinner even though they didn't have a seat at the table. And so he's there. And Jesus says, is it lawful to heal this person? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And why do you think everyone then just goes quiet? Think about it for a moment. Put yourself in that, sh- in that situation, in those shoes, Everybody just gets really quiet and nobody answers the first question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, there was mixed interpretation at the time. Some people said that you could lower a rope in and get them out if it was somebody that you cared about because, you know, that would be okay. Other people said you must not work. Just lower them some food and come back tomorrow, right? So there's mixed interpretation on all of this. Why don't they speak? Think about it. What do you think? I think it's kind of obvious, isn't it? You ever been in that moment where you feel like you're supposed to know something or you need to know the right thing? And if you say the next thing, you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to make everything bad and uncomfortable. You don't want to like dishonor the different people and moments and things in the room. You don't want to get into it. Right? It's like if you go out to lunch today and somebody's like, let's talk politics, and everyone gets quiet. You know what I mean? This is what happens. They don't want to be wrong. And so Jesus asked this question. And what I love is in the midst of all of this, Jesus never answers the question he asked. Do you know this? So Jesus never goes, well, I know a lot of you guys think that he's a sinner and that that's why he shouldn't be healed, but here's what you should do or or, here's the truth of that situation. Doesn't say that. Jesus also in that particular moment doesn't suddenly go, well, here's how the law works and there's no giant diatribe. There's no huge explanation of the law. What does he do? Quietly, he turns, he heals the man, he just does it, sends the man on his way, turns back now that the man is gone to face the rest of the dinner party that he is a guest at. And he begins to ask them a second question. This brings me to the first point that I wanna make this morning as we talk about who has a place at the table. And it's this, nobody has a place at your table if the person you're most worried about is you. Nobody has a place at your table if the person that you are most worried about is you. And remember, I think Jesus is just breaking down some of the things these Pharisees would have systematically cared about. And I think they're gonna break down a little bit for us. That's kind of my hope as we walk through some of this this morning. Luke 14, verse five says this. And he, Jesus said to them, so the man's gone. He's turned back. He's facing everybody and he begins to speak. He says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Great question. Verse six, and they remain silent. Nobody answers. He's asked it once, nobody answered. And he just straight up healed the man, sent him on his way. He turns back and goes, which of you? Think of the question that he's asking here. He's saying, if you have someone or something in your life that you care about that gets put in peril or in danger and it's on the Sabbath, are you not gonna care about the person and help them? Or are you gonna worry about being wrong or right in that moment? What are you gonna do there? Like it's a self-evident question and the room stays silent. Silent. This is Jesus going, are we really going to worry about whether this is a sin or not a sin, whether this is good or bad, whether you are wrong or whether you are right, and leave the person down in the well? And, they, and he's illustrating, like, are you really going to prioritize this over the person? Are you really going to prioritize being, being wrong, your fear of being wrong, your fear of being right, your fear of committing sin or doing whatever this thing is over loving and caring about this person right now? And, he, and they literally model the behavior he's challenging in that moment. What do they do? They're like, well, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be wrong. Or I'm worried about being right. Or I don't know what is or what isn't. And so they stay Silent. And nothing happens. They're uncomfortable with this. And the man with dropsy, he's already been helped. He's not even there that this becomes like some weird exchange with him. This is just between Jesus in the room. But they prioritize their own moment because they don't want to step into the uncomfortable. Do you feel that? I had a moment when I was in college where I went to a college where everyone in the school had to be a part of a weekly ministry. And you could either pick that through a church or they had this like Rolodex, if you can remember what those things were, with all these like ministries involved and, and you could pick one of those and say, I wanna get involved in this one. And, and so I started volunteering every week. Uh, the ministry that I was involved in was with the Lawson City YMCA in downtown Chicago. It's on Chicago Avenue right there in the middle of downtown. And what would happen is on Thursday nights, I would go down in the school cafeteria and I'd, they'd have these carts filled with food of extras that they had made with dinner. I'd wheel that through the city of Chicago, three blocks open, nobody knocked it over up to the YMCA and then I'd go in and we'd serve a meal and I remember my very first time that I did this I go inside and I get all this ready and I, I get the meal like ready and I put everything out on tables and tell all the people okay line up and does anybody want to bless the food and all this stuff and, and then one by one they, they just line up and I start serving people and I'm like hey how you doing yeah here's your, you know help yourself and here's how this works and all these things and they go through the whole line and once everybody's gone through the line I looked and I'm like okay so good everybody's got food to eat that's awesome and I'm going to clean up now so I'd clean up a little bit, and I'd, get, I'd rearrange stuff. And then I'm like, hey, everything's kind of picked up a little bit, but there's also stuff for seconds. You want to come get some? they get back up, go through the line. And then that would be over, and I'd rearrange, and I'd clean up again. And then I'd say, hey, if you want leftovers to take home, you can take some of that, some of this, like, be, help yourself. Like, we got some extra plates, do the things. And they would do that, and then i pack up, and i clean up, and i wipe off all the tables, and I'm like, good to have you guys. And then I leave, and i wheel the thing back. And I'm like, hey, that was awesome. All right, cool. I did a good thing. I was a good person. I stepped into a good moment. You know, I fulfilled my ministry requirement for the school, like all the things. I came back the next week and I get it all ready and I lay everything out and I'm standing there getting ready to serve and this man, his name was Ed. I learned that later. Uh, he comes up to me and he's in line and I'm like, okay, here, can I help you? Can you get this or whatever? And he looks at me, he goes, you know, nobody's gonna keep coming to eat with you guys on Thursdays if you aren't willing to sit with any of us after we serve the meal. And he just calls me out. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I felt embarrassed. Here's why I felt embarrassed. I was like, well, I thought I was doing the right thing. And you just told me I was doing the wrong thing. And it's like in this room of people. And now I'm really embarrassed. Have you ever had this moment? Now I'm really embarrassed about it. Like I, I didn't mean to do the wrong thing. Like I thought I was doing right. And I had this thought in my head where I'm like, and you guys don't have any food. You should be grateful. I didn't say that out loud. And I know better now. But in that moment when you're challenged and somebody and you feel defensive, and I was just like, shouldn't you be grateful? Aren't I the one who brought you food? Isn't this a free meal? Like I had those thoughts go through me, and I start to get a little defensive. And he looks at me and he says, You know, there is a different place to get a free meal in downtown Chicago on this particular night. He goes, you can kind of figure this thing out. There's a lot of people who are trying to care and trying to help. And he goes, what's going to make us keep coming back here is if we know that you care about us and you're going to have to sit down and actually have a meal with us at some point in time if, you want, if, if that's going to be true. And so I looked at him and was like, I'm sorry. Can I, can I sit with you? Like, does that mean I can come sit at your table? And I'll never forget it. He gets this huge smile. And the reason I remember his smile is he only had two teeth in his whole mouth. And it's just big, open mouth smile. And he looks at me, he's like, absolutely. And he goes, that table, see that chair right over there? That chair's gonna be for you. He's like, nobody's gonna sit in that. That one is yours. You come sit down just as soon as you're done serving. And then he's like, and you better bring a plate of food and eat with us. And I said, absolutely, I'll see you over there. And I went and I sat down. That became the night that I began to realize that this wasn't just a group of people I was doing a good thing for. These were actual human beings with names and hearts and moments. And I found that I began to just really love this group of gentlemen whose table I sat at to the degree that I would walk different ways coming home so that I could just pass by the Y in case they'd be standing out front and we could talk and I could hear what's going on in their lives. And I started praying for them and they started caring about my family and It just became this beautiful thing because I got out of my own way. And what's funny is I didn't get out of my own way because I was an awesome person who did it. I got out of my own way because Ed of all people was like, hey, I'm gonna pull up a chair at the table for you and I'm gonna need you to sit down in it with. He made space for me. When I was standing behind a table, a literal table in front of me because everyone else made me feel uncomfortable and so I hid behind the good deed that I was doing. Because I wanted to be a good person who did the right things and I didn't want to do wrong and I didn't want to mess up my school and I didn't want to like sin or, or do any of that. And I was more worried about me. So I stood on my side of the table and Ed's like, who cares? Pull up a seat and get to know us. Friends, there are people in your life. I promise you this. There are people in your life that because of our desire at times, our our over-preoccupation to worry about, well, am I wrong or am I right? And what about this? And what about those questions? And what about my own discomfort that we simply just don't see or consequently don't have a space at our table or we never sit down at theirs? And I think one of the things that Jesus models here is he just looks and he doesn't answer any of the questions. He just turns and makes a space for the gentleman, doesn't he? He heals him. And essentially in healing him declares, you have a space in my father's kingdom. You have place with me. And then he turns and goes, and now it's all of us religious people. Can we talk for two seconds about this? <laughs> can we wrestle with this for just a second? Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to be a little uncomfortable if it means caring about somebody? And think about that. You don't have to answer it. I just want you to wrestle with the question itself. Are you willing to be a little uncomfortable if it means caring about somebody. Don't let that obstacle become the thing that's in your path. The Pharisees are like, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to disappoint God. What if this is sin? What if it's not? And Jesus just turns and heals the man quietly. Are you willing to step into some of that discomfort and see the person that's in front of you? Second question, are you worried more about doing the wrong thing than you are about loving other people? I think it's really easy. It's a common tendency in religion to just go, you know what? I'm trying to do the right things and I'm trying to follow God and there's this book called the Bible. and trying to follow it. And there's all this stuff. And I'm just trying to do all the things. And I think sometimes that becomes our greatest priority. And we just need to get out of our own way sometimes. And just look, there's a room full of people around us, opportunities to love them. Are you willing to step into that moment? Because, well, Jesus does. And we're his followers. What does this mean for us? That brings us to the second point here this morning. And it's this. A seat at the table is a gift you receive and not a thing that you take. A seat at the table is a gift that you receive and not a thing that you take. So the story goes on, Luke chapter 14, beginning of verse seven. Now he, being Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, he said to them, right? So he looks around, he goes, okay, I'm seeing how everybody like sat themselves and how this all worked out. Now I'm gonna engage you this way. Verse eight, when you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus in talking with this group of religious leaders, right, he saw them all sit down. So he watched kind of like, okay, so we all understand a protocol. And then he doesn't, it's believed in this moment. A lot of scholars believe he didn't make up a new parable, but that this is him speaking one they might've already been familiar with. And so he draws on this illustration of a wedding and he goes, so which of you, when you go to a wedding, is going to walk in and be like, you see the bridal party seat over there? I'm not in the bridal party, but I think I should be sitting at that table. I'm going to go ahead and sit down. I want you to imagine you do that. Go to the the next wedding you go to. Just demo this out. It's going to be great. I promise. Right? Next wedding you go to, just be like, that seat next to the groom, I call that seat, like, and go sit in it. Here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to walk up to you and go, I'm sorry. This isn't your table, and that's not your seat. And they're going to make you get up, upon which the room's going to stare at you like, who do you think you are? And you're going to feel something called shame, right? That's the feeling that comes out of that moment. And then you're going to be like, so where is my seat? And some usher is going to be like, unfortunately, over here, So right over here. Or it's ma'am, whatever, right over here. And you're going to sit down, and you know how you're going to know it's your seat? Because your name is on it, right? At a wedding, your name, like, they sit you, your name is on it. In order to go to a wedding, you need two things. You need an invitation or you're a wedding crasher who annoys everybody, I promise you. You need an invitation. And the second component that you need is you need a seat. You need a name tag. You need a place. What Jesus is doing here with the Pharisees is he's telling them that they are more concerned about worrying about which seat they have at the wedding, which place that they would sit in and whether they have a name tag where and that they're caught up in that. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. You already know this. See, it would have been custom in that day that when they walked into a meeting or room or a wedding or whatever, they would have done this whole thing like a show and they probably did this when they came into Jesus' day or Jesus' dinner that evening, right? Right? They would have walked in and somebody might have been the guest of honor, but they're not going to seat in the guest of honor because you need the host to recognize you and be like, no, 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 you sit here. And they're going to be like, no, you. They're going to go, no, you sit here. And in the end, you're like, okay. And then you look around the room and you take your bow because you just got lifted up. Do you see what I'm saying? It's posturing. There's like a whole thing that you would do for this. And everybody knew how to go through it. And Jesus looks and he goes, You know that thing that you guys always do? There's like a deeper principle that's actually more important than that. And the thing they think that he added to this passage is verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Because now he's talking about this is what God's kingdom is actually like. This is what the world actually is here. And what he's saying is, Don't walk into a wedding celebration worrying about your name tag and your seat. You already have one because God has already made a space and a place for you. Just trust that. This isn't him saying, just make yourself low and then God's gonna just bless your life. It's gonna be so great. It's not what he's getting at here. What he's saying is, don't worry about your space and seat at the table. Stop staring down here. Just trust it. God has you. You have a place at the table. And you know what happens when you do that? You get to lift your gaze from there to here and you start to see all the other people in the room. And for the first time you get to stare directly at the object of God's affection and care and the opportunity in your life because someone needs a seat at the table. This is what he's getting at here. So he had to go through these two pieces because this group of Pharisees first would have been like, but is it lawful and is it right? And is it sin and is it not? And he wrestles with that. And then the second one is, but, but we have codes and seats of honor and the ways we esteem each other. And, and what about me? And he wrestles with that. And he goes, don't worry about it. Puts that piece to rest so that he can now get to the third thing here this morning. And I'm first gonna say it as a point. And then I wanna read you what I think is the most disruptive text in our passage this morning. Here's the point. And this is for me. This is for you. This is for us all. It's this. Someone in your life needs a seat at your table. This the third thing that I wanna convey this morning. Someone in your life needs a seat at your table. Someone in my life needs a seat at my table too, right? This is for us. Here's the disruptive, controversial passage, Luke 14, beginning of verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. So Jesus now turns to the host, guys. But you would imagine you're there and now Jesus isn't just doing this object lesson for everybody. And he turns to the guy who threw the party and he says... When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Some of you are writing that down. You're going to use that at Thanksgiving, right? Verse 13 says, don't invite them. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus isn't telling them, stop caring about your family and your neighbors and your things. It's not what's happening there. Let me explain what it is. First century culture, when they, Jewish culture, was a culture of reciprocity, or if that word doesn't ring, of like equivalent exchange. And if neither of those makes sense, let me walk through it real quick. What would happen is if you got invited over to dinner It's a hospitality culture, so they're going to pull out all the stops. I promise you, you're going to get this amazing meal. People are going to put the best of themselves out there, and they're going to try to bless you and everybody else involved at this dinner. It's going to be fantastic. And you're going to eat this, and you're just going to be blessed by their hospitality and all these other pieces, and then you're going to go home. But the moment you leave, the moment you leave that dinner, there is now the expectation on part of the person who just hosted this thing that you will then at some point invite them to an equivalent dinner down the road. And that if you host a dinner that is equivalent and you do not invite them to that thing, you are in trouble. It's going to create some issues. And there's just this cultural understanding of how this piece works. This ends up creating like a class system. Inadvertently, it's not like they set out to do this, but inadvertently it just does this. Here's why. Well, if a rich person invites a middle-class person over and they throw this really lavish dinner the middle class person doesn't have the cash or the wherewithal to even host a dinner like that, and they can't end up repaying you. And so, what ends up happening is the rich end up eating with the rich, and the middle class end up eating with the middle class, and the lower socioeconomic end up eating with lower socioeconomic. And it's this whole culture of paying it back, right? Of just reciprocating all of this, of equivalent exchange for how these pieces work. Jesus looks and he goes, Don't do that which would have been a violation because who's at the table? Well, it's a group of Pharisees who are all the same and similar and their leaders and lawmakers and Jesus, who is like a teacher and a rabbi and who's surrounding the table. Who are all the people who who are out there? All the people who didn't get the invite because they can't pay it back. They can't be a part of this particular dinner. And he goes, don't invite them. And then he draws our attention to a specific audience. And when I saw this the first time, I missed the depth of what happens here. I thought I knew what it meant. And here's what I thought I knew. I read, so he he calls our attention to a very specific audience. He says, no, 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 when you throw a party, invite the poor, invite the lame, invite the crippled, invite the blind. And I was like, oh, because they need food too. That's what I thought. Right? This is a dinner. Nobody invited them to dinner. They need food too. And then I came to learn something along the way here. And I learned that all of those people that he just listed at the end there, that specific audience, they actually were getting fed. Now, if you have a dinner like this and you have this big lavish feast, well, there's no refrigeration in this particular culture. So what do you do at the end with all the stuff? You, I mean, you went above and beyond over the top. It's an insult to run out of food. So you need so much that everybody could have as much as they want. And then there's leftovers. What do you do at the end? you turn to the servant of your household and you go, I want you to take this to the poor, to the blind, to the lame, to the crippled. Now, if you were in that camp, right, if you were one of the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, there's, this is what your life likely looked like. You lived in one of two places. You either hung out outside the city gate because something about you was deemed to be unclean. Remember, most of these things get looked at as you probably deserve that because something immoral that you did or something immoral that your family did. So you were either outside the city, of, the city gate where you were forced to sit on a mat and beg as people entered the City and exited the city, or maybe you were in the marketplace tucked off in the corner where again you begged as people were coming to exchange their goods and do these different things and you live there. So the servant of the household after a dinner would take all of this stuff, all the leftover food, and they would go and they would serve it to the poor. And in that way, everybody got to eat. And so I just, and this is culturally built in. So I find myself going, well, then why did Jesus, you see this? So why, if they've got food, What's he saying here? And then here's what I learned. In that culture of reciprocity and equivalent exchange, do you know who never gets invited to any dinner? The people who have zero capacity to pay any of it back. The rich eat with the rich. The middle eat with the middle. The lower eat with the lower. And you know who never has a seat at any table? The poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled. And so, what Jesus is doing, and this is profound for all of us, this would have been a mic drop of a moment. This would have been so incredibly disruptive in that particular culture, so controversial. What Jesus is doing right here is he's looking at this group of religious people and he's telling them the way the kingdom of God actually works, the way my father's kingdom works, is that the very people who have no seat at any table have a seat at mine. Do you see how powerful this would have been? And they would look and be like, but they're sinners. And he would be like, they have a seat at my table. But there's got to be unresolved stuff. They've got ailments and issues and things and they're unclean and, and law. We've got to follow this because there's some there's some stuff. We shouldn't necessarily be around some of those people because of cultures and customs. They have a place at my table. God has already pulled a chair out, make some space. We keep inviting the same people, worrying about the same things in the moments because all of that just keeps getting repaid. He goes, invite the person who can't repay you. Invite the people who have no space at any table at any time. Friends, there are people in your life right here and right now. I promise you, there are people in your life. There are people in your workplace. There are people around you in this room right now that perhaps even today for the first time are just wondering if they have a seat at any table. And they might have food in their pantries, And they might have food on their plates, but they might be starved for love and relationship in a very real way. And you don't know, because why would you? You can't know who you don't see. There are people in your life, I promise you this, they just have no idea that the grace of God is actually real and transformative. They have no idea that there is a God who has already pulled out a seat at a table for them. They just don't have any clue about that because how would they ever know? They don't have a seat at any table to even experience the beautiful truth of that for themselves. And what Jesus is saying is, this is who has space at my Father's table. You start by making space for them with yours. And this is the piece that I'll hear as a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, man, there's someone in my life that needs a seat at my table. Years ago, I was a high school youth pastor here, and we were getting ready for summer camp. Kids love this trip. We would go to California, and we'd go in water parks, and, and we'd stay at a university, and we'd, we'd go to the beach, and just do all this really fun stuff. Like, every, It was a really, really fun trip. And as that season of time approached, we were like a month or so out away from the trip. A student started coming to, to small groups, And the first night he came, he made it really clear he didn't want to be there. And by really clear, I mean, he's like, I don't want to be here. My mom made me come. And I'm like, noted. Gotcha. I'll let that be. It happens a lot. And so he hangs out. And then he decided, wait, there's some girls here I really want to talk to. I think I'm going to keep coming. And I just didn't care about his motives. I was glad he was there. And so he keeps coming. So every, every Wednesday, he keeps showing up to this group uh, and to, to hang out. And I just recognize, I'm like, there's something about this student. He just feels like he's going through some things. I really want him to come to camp. Like, I hope he gets connected to more than just having to show up in a moment. Like, I, I, I hope this becomes a place he can be known in a very real way. And so I just went up to him. I'm like, hey, are you coming to camp with us? And he said, no. And I said, why? And then just all the air went out of him. He just like deflated. And he said, I, I can't. My parents are divorced. I live with my mom. She's constantly just fighting with her boyfriend and doesn't have any money and they're having a very hard time financially. And I just try so hard to stay out of all of that that I don't wanna go there to have that conversation. He goes, my dad is in the hospital and he has cancer and the treatments and the different pieces, I can't ask him for money right now either. And so I just, I don't have the ability to go. And he had been working a part-time job and helping both of his parents, like contributing to help pieces around the household. And this is just what he was doing. And I said, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. Noted. That week, I went to a couple people in our church, and I said, I'm not gonna tell you the circumstances. I just want you to know there's a student who for really good reasons can't come to camp, and I want them there. And I just wonder if you'd be willing to sponsor them. And some really wonderful human beings in our church said, yes, we'd love to do that. And so they put together some money, and I got to show up the next week and said, hey, man, there's a seat on the bus, and you have a room, and you have meals, and the whole thing's done and taken care of. And he looked at me, and he said, wait, what? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, you can go. And he goes, I don't know. Like, I, I, can I work for it? Is there something I can do? Is there? And I was like, no, I don't need you to do anything. Just do me a favor. When you're on the trip, if there's like a, an opportunity to maybe help me out with some stuff, I, I'm running around doing a lot of things. Maybe just jump in now and then when I ask you to help me. And that would really mean a ton. Could you do that? And he goes, yeah, I'll do it. I was like, awesome. Thank you. So he comes to camp. I don't see him, though, for the next several weeks of small groups. He shows up finally to get on that bus. And he's just weird. I don't know how to explain it. Something feels off about him like his energy's just gone or like he's just meandering like in a fog or something's weird. And I welcome him and he gets on the bus and he hangs out with people. And I had dinner with him and my wife that night in a cafeteria with like a bunch of other students and people. And, and you see his spirit start to lift. And then by the last night of camp, we do this moment where we'd look at the students and we just tell them like, if you don't have anyone to pray with you in your life, there's a group of volunteers and adults here, they care. I'd love to pray with you. Be in the back if you want that and And if not, don't worry about it. That's okay, but just know you're cared about. We love you. We'd love to pray for you. And I go stand in the back of the room and this kid makes a beeline. He gets up out of his chair and he's walking towards me with intensity. And so I wanna close the distance because I don't want this to be like a weird or awkward moment for him. I bet this is kind of strange. And so I walk up and I'm like, hey man, how can I pray? And he wraps his arms around me and he buries his head in my chest and he starts sobbing. And he keeps saying something over and over and it's muffled and I can't figure it out. And I'm like, what happened? Are you, did something happen? Are you okay? And I don't know what to do. And I realized the words he's saying, I finally pick it up. He just keeps saying thank you over and over. And he doesn't know that I had that conversation or did any of this. So he has no no idea. And so I said, thank you for what? Like, I I was like, I'm kind of worried about, are you okay? Like, thank you for what? What happened? And he looks and he says, my dad died three weeks ago and I've just been in like a fog. And he goes, and there was something about this trip. I just knew I get to get on a bus in three weeks. I get to get on a bus in three weeks. And he goes, I've just been living to show up to a bus. And he's like, and I got here and it just felt out of whack and weird and all this stuff. And he gets on the bus and he goes, and the first night you and your wife sat down and you had dinner with me and some of our friends and things. And he goes, your wife? And he talks like this. He's like, dude, she like asks like a lot of questions. He's like, she asked me all these like personal questions about my life. And then he's like, I, dude, she like genuinely cares about me. And I was like, yeah, I like her too. I think she's great. You know, like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it was really cool. And he goes, but you know what the, the biggest thing was? And I said, what? I had no idea. And he said, when I sat with you at dinner that night, you and your wife were talking to each other. And I could tell that you like really liked each other. And he goes, I could tell that you like, you were nice to each other. You were kind to each other. You like laughed and laughed. He goes, I didn't know what real love looked like. And I find myself suddenly being filled with hope for the first time in a long time. And he goes, I want that for me. I want that same thing. He goes, I don't want to go back home to the same. I, I want that for me. And you know what blows me away is I just had no idea. That wasn't a special moment. We were just sitting at a table being ourselves Because you just don't know when there's somebody around you that's starved for relationship, that's hungry for love, that's thirsty for grace, that's just seeking and striving after something very deep and very real in their lives. And we're just busy making the same table that we make every day. And we never realize that's who's there. And it's powerful, friends, when you do. When you find that you open your eyes and your heart to somebody else in your life and you pull the chair out and you make a seat for them at the table, it might just be the singular moment that finally opens their eyes to go, wait, I may in fact have a table at the seat of my Father in heaven. I may, was, I may in fact be able to be called a child of God. I may in fact have a t- seat at that table too because the way that we love people, the way that we give people a seat at the table, it just opens up all the doors. It becomes the living, breathing example of Christ. And that's you. You. I wasn't being an amazing youth, but sometimes we were like, yeah, but you're in ministry. I wasn't being a youth pastor. I was being a guy who was hungry and an extrovert who sat at a table. I wasn't being anything, you guys. I didn't have to be anything more than what God had already put in me to just sit down and show up and have a meal with somebody and be there in their lives. And it became this powerful exchange and experience. And that same thing is there for you. There's someone in your life that needs a seat at your table. And so I wonder if, you'd open your eyes and your heart to see them. I wanna leave you with two questions. And again, these are questions not just to hear right now and go, cool questions. But these are questions to wrestle with in the coming week, in the coming month, however long this takes you. And here's the first one. And I think this is a really important question. This is the question I wish the Pharisees would have asked that day at the table with Christ. And it's this, who doesn't have a seat at your table? I wanna ask myself, who doesn't have a seat at my table? The reason this becomes an important question is because you've got a man with edema, right? A man with dropsy who's standing there, and he's not the only person. This whole table would have been surrounded by other people who are bearing witness to this dinner. There are all these people there. Who doesn't have a seat at your table? Jesus sends the man quietly away before he engages in a discussion about him. Do you see this? He doesn't have a place. He has a seat at Christ's table, but the Pharisees just watch him walk away. I think it's important for us. Who makes us uncomfortable? Who's the person that we look and we're like, well, I can't invite them for dinner I don't have a seat at my table. This isn't me also saying, if someone's abusive in your life, pull back a chair and invite them back in. If you've done the hard work of drawing boundaries, keep on keeping on. That is a difficult thing. This is a different conversation altogether, okay? There's somebody in your life that needs a seat at your table and maybe they make you uncomfortable. Are you willing to step into that discomfort? Maybe you have unanswered questions about what this means. Maybe there's an issue in their life that you don't agree with. I don't know what the things are, but will you pull back a chair and go, I wanna open my life to you and I wanna love you as you are and let's see what God does from there. Are you willing to do this? And then here's the second question. Who is it that doesn't have a seat at any table? Who is there in your life that's that person who is searching for what real love looks like and they just don't have a place to find it? who's searching and thirsty for what real relationship looks like and they are isolated who is that in your life and here's my here's all I want to challenge you to do with both of these things if some of these things come to your mind i just want you on a daily basis for as long as it takes to just say one simple prayer and it's god help me make room that's it and i just believe i really do i believe that if you trust that to god god's going to do things in you and through you i do why well because we're all here because at some point in time someone pulled back a chair and said you have a seat at the table of god too and we get to relish in that and experience that. And you just never know who's around you that's still waiting for that same invitation in their life, friends. I want good things for people just like I want it for you and me and us all. And as a church, we can do amazing things together. Can I pray for us as we close? God, we come before you and we just thank you that we have a seat at your table. I pray that we would rest in that. I pray that we trust that. I pray that we not worry about whether our name tag is here or there, what seat we're at. I thank you for Jesus and that because of Christ, we have a seat at your table. So Lord, open our eyes to the people in our life who need that. Open our eyes to the people in our life who need relationship, who need love, who need a just moment with us. Give us the courage, the confidence to face discomfort, to face challenge, to face whatever is there, Lord, to pull back a seat and love them the way that you already do. We love you, we praise you. Use this church in mighty ways, just as you use each person in here. And we trust all of this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, (laughs) let there be light. Before you go, I'd love to meet you if I haven't before. I'm gonna be standing right over here by these two tables and just would love to say thank you for coming, for all of you. It's good to see you. We'll see you soon.